0: Hey everybody, Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into our podcast at Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Would you be interested? Well, let me tell you a little bit about it. We don't have lasers, we don't have a fog machine, we don't have an American Idol stage, but we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the whole world. We sing psalms and hymns, and we preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We love Jesus, and we're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. So would you be interested in coming to a church like that? If so, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. And feel free to visit our website, gospelfellowshippca.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospelfellowship. Presbyterian Church. And now for today's message.
1: Amen. Uh, if you turn uh, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8 verse 27, we are uh, continuing along in our study of uh, the gospel of Mark. Uh, would you please uh, stand as we read together uh, the holy and inspired word of God? <clears throat> Be reading chapter Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through chapter 9, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Praise the Lord for his holy and inspired word. Please be seated. I want you to try to appreciate what it was like here for the crowds Uh, They show up partway through uh, this uh, passage that I read. Uh, Jesus turns to the crowd uh, with his disciples, of course, with him, Um, and uh, they probably saw those who were close by and were paying attention. They probably noticed that Jesus may have been a little bit agitated at this point. Uh, He had just rebuked Peter with some pretty harsh words. Um, They might have seen uh, Peter... Uh, Perhaps perhaps angry after rebuking Jesus and then being rebuked by him, or or perhaps discouraged or despondent in some way. Uh, Some ways probably at least visibly different uh, than the other disciples. Um, And then Jesus says something rather surprising. There's almost the sense uh, from the crowds that they're hearing the second half of a conversation. Something's already sort of moving forward here and they realize that Jesus then comes to them, and he says something that is uh, rather challenging. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, or he must, I command him, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Uh, Here's a surprising thing suddenly. These crowds following Jesus, and he's suddenly talking about uh, the need to lose your life. He uses that language. Uh, we must lose our life if we are to save it. Here these crowds are accustomed to in some fashion receive to receiving something from Jesus, whether it's healing uh, or even his teaching in terms of uh, the marvelous things that they heard uh, from his lips or even uh, I think of when he, when he multiplied the loaves for the people, they're accustomed to receiving these things. Now Jesus is speaking very clearly and openly about what is required of those who would follow him. Uh, And they're hard words. Suddenly, it's almost like they don't quite realize what they were were in for. Following Jesus, now he's talking about taking up a cross, losing your life. And the challenge for us today is we don't want to take the edge off of what Jesus is saying. Uh, The allusions to death here are clear, a cross that is born a life that is lost now we know the cross of course because of how jesus died we can't think of a cross we can't see a cross without remembering how christ himself gave his life for the sake of his people they knew the cross because of how criminals in the eyes of the roman state were killed uh, it was a kind of public shaming where the very instrument uh, upon which they would be killed and crucified was first to be carried by them so that their last steps, get this, the final, uh, the final uh, using of energy, the, fir- the final bending of your will towards accomplishing anything is furthering your own demise. That's the kind of shame that is heaped upon you in that kind of Uh, uh, in that kind of situation. The last steps that you take are furthering the designs and intentions of the state that is against you, uh, leading to your death. And it's demoralizing because everyone knows that you know what you're doing and you can't do anything about it. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We want to understand today, what does it mean to take up your cross what is Jesus talking about in this call, that those would follow after, follow after him that we must take up our cross? Here's my summary as we get into this of what Jesus is getting at, what it means in particular, to deny yourself and take up your cross. If there is anything good that I would receive, or anything good that I seek, it does not come in any sense whatsoever from myself, from the world. Or any aspect of the life that I'm presently living. But it comes wholly and entirely from the Son of Man. When he comes in the glory of his Father. If there is anything good that I would receive or seek. It doesn't come from me, the world, or the life that I'm presently living. But wholly and entirely from the Son of Man. When he comes in the glory of his Father. It's not merely, uh, not merely saying that we would have what he has or what he has to give, but there's a distinctly negative side to it, right? Refusing to receive from any other source, from nothing else. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Taking up your cross, the first point, taking up your cross involves denying yourself. Now, it's a little bit of an odd phrase, is it? Isn't it denying yourself? It makes sense to uh, in some ways deny or disassociate yourself from someone else. You, you, uh, you act as though or you, you make clear that you don't know someone. How do, you, how do you do that with yourself? Well, let's use the image if we can of what it's like with somebody else uh, and then transfer that to ourselves. It's a little bit easier to think about what it's like to deny, to disavow or dissociate uh, yourself from another person. Well, if you're associated with someone, uh, their reputation spills over onto yours. As uh, someone speaks well of them, uh, you smile and you're delighted. Uh, because in some ways it reflects upon you, right? Because you're with them. Uh, if you associate with them, they speak well of you, you're delighted because you're with them. If someone speaks ill of the person you're associated with, you try to defend them, right? Because the poor reputation in some ways reflects upon you. It's kind of like what we do when we wear a sports jersey. Uh, it, here's something of the reputation and the glory of our sports team is kind of transferred to us. When they, We love to wear the jersey of the winning team, right? It's great. And we love to rub it in the faces of, our, of the people who are rooting for the other guys. They, their win is our win, right? And also, their loss... Uh, the person whose jersey we're wearing, if they, if they made some bad play, what are we going to do? We're going to try to defend them. It was a bad call, right? That's why it happened. Uh, that's, that's the idea of association here. Uh, something good that is said, it spills over onto us. Something, uh, something that is uh, harmful or speaks ill of them, we want to defend uh, because our reputation in some ways uh, is wrapped up uh, with them. Here's, here's what it means to deny yourself then. Denying yourself means that your reputation is not derived from getting what you deserve or defending yourself from what is, quote, undeserved. Denying yourself means your reputation is not derived from getting what you think you deserve or defending yourself from what you think is undeserved. It is removing the jersey of self. Uh, Being disassociated from yourself and not having no intention to take it up again. Uh, If someone praises you, it does not register in your mind as something you deserve. Uh, Someone speaks ill of you or unjustly ridicules you, it doesn't even register in your mind as something worth defending. Deny yourself. This is no longer the source of my reputation. Deny yourself. If there is any reputation to be had, it is wholly and entirely what comes from and is defended by the Son of Man when he comes in the glory of his Father. That's what it means to deny yourself. Again, uh, let's consider this idea of associating with someone. This time in terms of how it is that we live or what we seek. If you're associated with someone, what do you do? You seek their good. You want to benefit them. You try to divert or avoid something that would harm them. Again, using a sports uh, analogy, if if someone's on your team, you're playing soccer, you want them to score the goal, (laughs) right? uh, If they score, your team scores, if, it, if someone's coming after them, a defender's coming after them, you want to get in the way and stop it, right? You want to make sure whatever, whatever happens to them, you are seeking their good because in their good and what they accomplish, so is your accomplishment. Denying yourself means you refuse to seek your benefit. In this life, and the things of this world, and you refuse to avoid your harm in this life and the loss of the things of this world, it just does not enter into why you do what you do. You quit the team of self. You're not seeking your benefit. You're not here to avoid your harm. If there's anything good that you would seek, if there is anything lost that is to be recovered, it comes from the Son of Man, when he comes in the glory of his Father. Uh, This is something similar to what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, uh, if there is no resurrection from the dead, we are of all people most to be pitied, uh, if it is not so, that having lost our lives, taken up our cross, denying ourselves, following him, losing your life, and thereby saving it when the Son of Man comes in the glory of his Father, if this is not so, we are of all people most to be pitied. There is nothing reserved and left. Left, I will not have anything from any other source but what comes from the Son of Man when he comes in the glory of his Father. Have, have this picture in your mind. Imagine you come to the end of your life uh, your funeral service uh, consists in people eulogizing you in some ways. Here's, here is what a life that is lived like this, a life that's lived even according to the ways that Paul talks about. If we, are, we are of all people most to be pitied if there is no resurrection from the dead. People look and consider your life, what you lived for, and what you have to show for it, and they say, I sure hope there's a resurrection. Because the only thing we have All of our eggs are in one basket. What comes from the Son of Man, when he comes, in the glory of his Father. We are refusing to accept anything from any other source. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Uh, Jesus goes on here, speaking still to the crowds. After these hard words, he goes on and speaks more to the crowds, We're going to comment briefly here on on what else he says to the crowds, again, with the disciples with him. It'll it'll probably be brief because it's fairly self-explanatory what Jesus is getting at. Uh, Why does this matter? Why is it worth taking up your cross, uh, denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him? Well, you can't afford the alternative. You can't afford the alternative. Uh, he, He presents these two alternatives here. Whoever would save his life, verse 35, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Uh, If you save it now, you lose it later. If you lose it now, it's saved and reclaimed. Now, uh, there's a single word here that's used in these verses for life in verse 35, and what comes later in verse 36 and 37, soul. Uh, It's the word that um, at least looks like and sounds like the English word psyche. Psyche is the Greek word. It's soul or life. It's this idea of uh, sometimes meaning uh, what is the external embodied life, life in this world. Uh, Or even sometimes it means the soul as the center of the human person. The basic idea, there's probably both shades of meaning here, which is why it's translated in two different ways. Uh, But it's the center of the human person in embodied existence in a habitable environment. Whether it's here in this world, Or there in the new creation. But here is embodied life uh, in what is a habitable environment, a place in which we live and move. Um, And he unfolds these two alternatives, either save it now and lose it later or lose it now and save it later. He unfolds these two alternatives in a way that if we admit it, it's a little bit lopsided and fairly abrasive. Uh, There's one positive thing that he says here. If you lose your life, you'll save it. If you lose it for my sake and the Gospels, you'll save it. But everything else focuses on that first part. If you seek to save it, you'll lose it. Everything else is on that part. It's kind of surprising. Uh, What does it profit, verse 36, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit a soul? You have all, forfeit his soul, you have all that the world has to offer and he doesn't simply point out how those things don't last, though plenty of us have examples as to how they don't, but he points out the fact, let's say you have all that the world has to offer. The problem is not merely that those things don't last, though they don't, but the problem is that you don't last with them. (laughs) You gain the whole world, but forfeit your soul. It's like having a whole world built up around you, and then suddenly we are removed from it. Whatever, th- whatever substantial uh, treasures and gifts we have in this world, they are only as great and they're only as much ours as our life is able to be sustained and connected with it. How weak and frail we are. It's part of what fills us with fear so much, oftentimes. Oftentimes because we see how weak and frail we are. However much we have, it doesn't take much to remove myself out and away from the things that I have. But as weak as my life is, as much as I cannot sustain my life in this world, guess what? It, it, it costs more than anything that you could ever pay. It's, it, is, it is of inestimable value. Listen to this. What can a man give in return for his soul? Here is something that is so weak that lasts only for a brief period of time and you can't possibly afford it. You can't possibly pay what is required to be the one who controls and has jurisdiction over your life. This is probably uh, a quote from uh, Psalm 49. Listen to this. Psalm 49, verses seven through nine, it says this, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. There is no way that we could possibly give anything to purchase the ability to have our lives last forever. Um, And of course, what we're dealing with here, what makes this most uh, significant in the words that Jesus is saying here, is that we're not dealing with in what is the value of things in this world. We're not even dealing with what is the value of the human soul. But we are dealing and trading in what is the value of the glory of the Son of Man when He comes. Look at this. Verse 38. This is the heart of the issue and what's going on. Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with his holy angels. See, what we are confronted with is not the value we place on the world, not the value we place in our lives, but the value of worth that we place upon the glory of the Son of Man. That is what's rejected when we take instead our life. Uh, pretty hard things Jesus says to the crowds, um, but it's important for us, though he says these kind of surprising words to the crowd, Uh, we need to pay attention to some of the context of what Jesus has said right before. It gives a clear context as to what it is uh, that this means for us to take up our cross uh, because it's not merely a symbol of our commitment or the value that we place on the glory of the Son of Man, uh, but it is a symbol of what is our estimation and the value of understanding of the necessity of Christ's suffering. Denying yourself and taking up your cross has everything to do with who we are following and where he is going. That's much of what we see in this earlier part, verses 27 to 33. It's, it has to do with who Jesus is and what it is that he's going to do. He's the Christ, and as the Christ is the Son of Man, he is going to suffer many things, be rejected, and killed. Um, as the Christ, this is part of what it means. One commentator uh, says this: Christ, of course, being uh, one who was anointed, uh, the anointed by God. It's uh, it's it resembles what is uh, uh, the the word referring to being anointed, or 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 kind of uh, ha- the the imagery in the Old Testament is that of having uh, having oil that is put upon you and set apart for a particular task or purpose, and it and it implies being equipped by God for something. One commentator says this, that it implies divine election and appointment to a particular task and a special endowment of power for its performance. Now, that's something in general, but in particular, Peter says you are the Christ, the Christ. Peter recognizes that Jesus was the appointed agent of God whose coming marks the fulfillment of of the divine promise and the realization of Israel's hopes. See, here's the recognition. He has power from God, and he has the right and privilege to do everything that God has promised and everything that the people of God have hoped for and wanted and been desiring. Upon him is that anointing, and this is what he will do. And Peter is offended because Jesus says that he is equipped with the power of God he is able, even as the Son of Man. You remember Daniel 7. He is the one who has the right to receive the kingdom from God that will last forever. And why does he have those things? So that he might suffer and die. And from Peter's perspective, he is offended by what Jesus seems, from his perspective, to be wasting. Think of what it is that Jesus could have done with that power, consider even the things that he had done just from the Gospels. We think about him casting out demons, the power and authority he has over the evil one and those who are associated with him, the way that he heals lepers, those who can't walk, those who are diseased, even the ability that he shows in the Gospels to raise the dead, How he is able to calm storms. He multiplies food. Think of all of the good that Jesus is able to do. Think of the situations, even in your life, where he could have helped. The diseases he could have healed, the people, even whose life he could have restored back to you, Uh, the pandemics he could have ceased and stopped. Uh, Those who are without food, whom he could have given food without even a thought. Uh, The kind of society that he could have created around him that would ensure your protection, the protection of your children, not only from physical harm, but any kind of spiritual threat, period. And Peter objects to Jesus' ministry because he is concerned about all of the good that could have done, and he misses the one thing that is necessary that he must do. He did not come merely to do good, but he came why? Because he had to save. That's what Peter misses. He recognizes the power that is upon him, and what is that for? Not only to add something to Peter and to give him something that otherwise he wouldn't have, but he came in order to die and to purchase his people for himself. Peter's offended. Are you offended by the things that the Lord does not do? (laughs) That he could have done. That Christ could have done if he remained among us. Yet he does not. Why? Because it's not why he came. It is not the thing that he must do. Uh, Jesus responds in rather uh, stark language in saying what it means for Peter to rebuke Jesus for the work that he came to do. He says, get behind me, Satan. Whoa, when was the last time you were called Satan? Get behind me, Satan. Peter is acting as though he is an instrument of Satan here. Uh, He says, get behind me. It's as though Peter is now standing between Jesus and precisely what he is empowered to do. Peter's getting between Jesus and the cross. He's between Jesus and his people. Get behind me, Satan. And where does it come from? Well, Jesus says it came from this. You are setting your mind, not setting your mind, on the things of God but on the things of man. He was concerned about the things of man rather than the things of God. Denying yourself and taking up your cross has in its focus this, that what we, what we need, if there's any good that we would receive, any benefit that we would have, it would not in any sense come from ourselves, from this world or anything in our lives, but wholly and entirely what Jesus gains in his suffering and in His death. That's what our eyes are upon. What we hope for and we wait for, what comes from with him and comes from him when He comes in the glory of His Father, is what He has because of his suffering and because of his death. We don't need some good, we need to be saved. We have nothing but what comes from him when he comes in glory. We have nothing but what he gives uh, from, because of his suffering and death. What could any man give for the price of his soul? Yet Christ has given his life as the price for mine. <laughs> Uh, there's a bit of a problem in, in the ways that Jesus. Uh, well, it was not a problem in, for Jesus in the ways that he spoke, but imagine the people here listening. And uh, what they're left with with these kinds of words. He spoke in pretty stark language to Peter. He turns to the crowds now and tells them what's required of them. And now they're at this situation, is this juncture between these two alternatives. One costs everything, and the other one is worse off than the first. <laughs> You see how you're caught between a rock and a hard place. Um, it's, it's kind of like free soloing. You guys seen that movie, Free Solo? Uh, it's great. Check, check it out. Uh, it's, it's about a man uh, named Alex Honnold. I think that's how you say his name. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a documentary about him climbing a 3,200-foot sheer granite rock face in Yosemite National Park without any ropes, without any protection. Uh, no one thought anyone could do it, for good reason, right? Uh, but here's this documentary about this guy doing it, and before he does it, which, I'll spoiler alert, he, he does it, um, but uh, one of the guys who's with him and helping him and is um, uh, filming this, he, he describes what's going on in, in this way, he says, there's no margin for error. Imagine an Olympic gold medal level athletic achievement that if you don't get that gold medal, you're going to die. (laughs) Uh, The call to discipleship here is almost similar to that. It requires as much as anyone could possibly give, and if you turn back, you die. Uh, there's an urgency that's heightened now on account of what is the coming of the Son of Man, and then even heightened further in 9-1, where he says, Truly, uh, 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 there are some here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This is not just some idea or something far off, but here is something that in some fashion is drawing near. You see the urgency and, and, and the hardness of being caught between, on one hand, needing to give uh, as much as, perhaps more than anyone could possibly give, or it costing far more in what is the losing of your life. How do we approach this? Uh, well, it's a matter of life and death, though perhaps, perhaps not in the way that you think. I want to notice, just in closing, the way that this story plays out with Peter in particular, uh, who was there when he heard these words, who heard the call to what it means to follow Jesus, uh, who understood that he was the Christ, what he was empowered to do, who, who grasped something of what it meant to follow him and that when he says that Jesus, everyone else may abandon you, but I will go with you even to the point of death, he recognizes that. Jesus talks about death here. He's going to die. Peter says, I'm willing to die. When Jesus is taken and he goes towards the cross, guess what? He actually goes one step further. He continues to follow behind. Yet finally, when he is pressed and asked, you're with him, aren't you? Rather than denying himself, he denies Christ. See, if you depend in this call, and following Jesus, if you depend upon the depth and the level of your commitment, if you depend upon the worth, your sense of the worth of the greatness of Christ that it far outweighs anything in this world, if you depend upon the fearful expectation of judgment if you turn away, you will end up right where Peter did. (laughs) When finally pressed with that question, we would rather deny him than deny ourselves. But what do we have? Mark 9, verse 1. I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now, there's a lot that we could say about this verse. And we're not going to say everything now. But at least to say this, that whatever he's referring to in the kingdom of God coming with power and whenever it happens, it's already happened. <laughs> we know that there are some there who have seen the kingdom of God when it has come with power. Uh, Paul says this in the beginning of Romans, Romans one three to four. It talks about Jesus um, uh, who uh, who is declared to be the Son of God in power. According to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Here is a power that Christ enters into by his resurrection and ascension into glory. What does he tell his disciples in Acts 1 verse 8? He He tells them that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What is the power that he is referring to? It is the power of Christ having finished his work. See, this is what we have, what you have, that not even Peter had when he was following at Jesus' heels. What is the coming and the have come power of the kingdom of God that Christ has finished his work. He has been crucified and he has risen from the dead. His death has purchased the right for you to deny Yourself. See, here's what happens. Uh, The beginning of our call to follow Jesus. Our call, our following Jesus begins with Jesus having finished where he is going. Our call to follow him begins with Jesus having finished uh, going to where he has. Going so that our taking up the cross is not merely the symbol of you denying yourself, but it's a symbol that Christ has claimed you. Our taking up our cross is not simply saying that we value the life that comes from Him more than the life we have now, but is itself sustained by His life. That is what fuels the call to follow Jesus. When even Peter turns away, though he was able to see him with his eyes, he turns away. Why? Because what he needs is what Christ was in the process of doing but had not yet finished. His actual death and his resurrection. So here, we are losing our life. Why? Because we have gained Christ. You taking up your cross is not merely so that you can one day live, but because Christ now lives and his life is at work in you so here's now notice this the privilege that we have to deny ourselves and to take up our cross see death his death has purchased the right for you to deny yourself see ordinarily we think that denying ourselves, losing our life is only a bad thing but consider this ordinarily If you were to disown your own reputation, you would merely be lying. What has Jesus done? He has purchased the right for you to disown your own reputation. Do you know what stands against you in your own sin and the things that we have done? And us disowning, denying ourselves is not lying but it's something that is true insofar as it is granted to us by Christ. It shows not what we are, but what He is. Here denying ourself puts on display His life. He has purchased the right. That you are no longer living by your reputation. Praise the Lord. Uh, can all ordinarily for us to live contrary to the desires of our own heart is simply to be inauthentic and to be hypocritical. What has He done? He has purchased the right for you to live contrary to your own sinful desires, and purchased the ability for you to do so. Why? Because it shows not what comes from you, but what is purchased by Him. Puts on display His life. We are enabled to deny ourselves and take up our cross and praise the Lord, this life will not last forever. Praise the Lord, we lose our lives. Why? Because we have gained Christ. See, here's what happens in the call to discipleship. Christ has purchased your death so that we might have his life. That's the joy that we have in following Christ our Savior. Paul says this in Galatians 2.20. We'll end with this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the privilege of following Jesus that Christ has purchased for us. He has made it possible to follow him in a way that it had not been before. He's been crucified, raised from the dead. His life means we have him. Let's go before our God in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you so much for the work of Christ. We thank you for your gracious gift of life, life from the dead, purchased by Christ in his own death, who purchases our souls for you, our God. Be with us, we pray, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, everybody. My name is Rob, and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church just north of Pittsburgh, and you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.